And now it's time for some shit talk. That is right, ladies and gentlemen. It's time to talk about our personal shitstorms of the dumpster fire of 2020. Hello, crazy poultrying people. It is me, your host, once again, as always, Guy Loco. And join with me, as usual, and always, Mr. Nickers Chickenwood. Howdy, y'all. I'm excited to do this. But a- am I? A- as you all <laughs> are aware, this is... You know, towards the end of February, so why are we now talking about this list? Well, because, let's see, what was it? We just went through 2020, one of the worst years of all time, and changed so much for us. As far as even doing this podcast and things like that, everything shifted and changed for us. Movies got delayed, they got moved, or just canceled altogether. Um, And then when everything went to streaming... Things did come out, but, I mean, Nick probably is different than me in this testament, but the problem for me personally when it comes to streaming stuff that comes out, I don't feel the urge and pressure to go right away and see it. So when that happens, I either don't see it in time, completely forget that it even is out, or when I finally get to it, it's very, very late. And then you gotta hope and pray your internet's working. Yeah, that's, that, that's my internet has been much stronger lately, so yeah. that's why I've been much better at it. But I mean, again, because the whole not having to go to a theater is like I gotta rush to go see it, yeah. especially if it's an indie film. Yeah, it's like it's gonna be there for a week. If that, I was like, okay, well, I have to go see it then. Um, but then also the timing is. Some of these didn't even come out streaming-wise for the broader public until even January and February. Yeah. The only reason why some critic, several critics and stuff had like some of these movies maybe on their top tens or worse is because they got screener links, which is for press people. That is not for us that aren't really that well established. Yeah. I hope to get there at some point. That would be a dream, but that is not where I'm at now. So, the past, you know, couple of months, uh, Nick and myself have, pro- have most likely been trying to catch up on stuff that finally hit streaming, that we could talk about or see if it hit our best or worst. But, we're starting it off with the shit of 2020, because that only seems appropriate, right? Because, um, I'm not gonna <laughs> really try to sugarcoat this. 2020 was a horrible fucking year. In my there, opinion, it was the there, worst. There, there, there was... I, I'm not trying to discount some of the absolute great films that I was then astonished to see, but if I look at the average, there was way more bad than good this yeah. last year. The body of work was, I think, by far the worst in 2020. And, I mean, it does kind of fit, though? I mean, if, I'm, if it's yeah. going to be one of the worst years of all time for the world, probably should be one of the worst times for cinema. I'm pretty sure, I don't know the exact number, that at least 
a good 90-some percent of the movies that were supposed to come out last year yeah. were postponed to this year. It, and if that, I'm still... I'm waiting to see when the world is much better to see if all those... Because if what, what, if a film that might come up on this list, so I'm not going to say what film can get delayed so many times, uh, then gets released, I'm not giving that away. Uh, but you know what? Let's uh, start off before we do our... T- we narrowed it down to top tens for each list, so... We're going to be doing our top 10 worst of 2020 here. Uh, but before that, let's uh, do some honorable mentions. Uh, how many do you have? I have three dishonorable mentions. You only have three? Yeah. Okay, I have a few more than that. Um, I probably forgot some, so forgive me. Yeah. I, I'll get to, when I get to my to the bottom, to, you know, three left, and I'll show you. So uh, my honorables are the rhythm section. You probably forgot about that, didn't you? Wait a minute. Bla- oh Blake Lively, my, oh Spy Thriller. Oh, my God. I completely spaced that. Uh, oh, wow. I do not blame you. I mostly remembered what I saw <sighs> it on the list of films that came out the year. I completely spaced that one. Um, my bad. The reason, though, why it didn't make it on my worst is because of how forgettable it was, really. And that I can say there was at least one decent action sequence in it. But the rest of it is was just dumb and forgettable. Um, another one that I don't know if you knew about this too, Nick. Uh, Ava starred Jessica Chastain, John Malkovich, oh. Colin Firth. It was a... You know, typical spy thriller thing with Jessica Chastain being like the one that's like the big, you oh, know, that sounds great. Yeah, but the problem was it was a generic mm. thing yeah. where it and it also had no stylistic to it. Mm. It just felt flat and stuff. The reason again, though, why it's on a mention is Jessica was trying. She was easily the best thing in it, and John Malkovich actually wasn't too bad either. Um, another one for me, it was, uh, we came to, we can be heroes was right to Netflix. You've heard about that. Uh, Robert Rodriguez. It's part of his like shark boy and lava girl universe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, again, the reason why it's on my mentions is, is because it clearly just wasn't meant for me. It was for kids and stuff. That makes sense. Um, oh, uh, Pedro Pascal also was in it. Oh. And it, <laughs> but, but again, he was probably the best part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and my final mention before we can get to yours, uh, you, you'll most likely remember this, at least I hope, We Summon the Darkness. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I see. I want to add that in there, too. Um, that was we watched that in my room. Man, yeah, we watched that. That was uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it it just felt like it was just a horror film that was just you know paying homage or ripping off other yeah. horror films. Uh, there was at least some nice people to look at. That's all I can get. It. <laughs> Damn, I forgot uh, you already. Damn. So, so go ahead, go to your first one. My first dishonorable mention is Mulan. Okay. Um, I'm not really going to go into detail about that other than just to say that well you might be able to hear about it more just stick to the original Uh, second dishonorable mention is New Mutants that was the one that I was briefly mentioned yeah I just have not come around to watch it mostly because I either hear it's just terrible or it's just boring that's 
I went to the theater twice. Twice? Um, since the pandemic. Oh, okay. And it was in the same week. I thought you. Yeah. I thought you were saying you got to, went to go see it twice. No, 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 like, no, no, what? no, 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 no. You risked your life no, twice for no. this. Um, yeah, and I saw that in theaters, and <laughs> might have been the biggest mistake of my life. Yeah, it was bad, mm-hmm. and everything you hear is absolutely true. It's it was a train wreck, and it was postponed. I don't know how many times. I think and, four. Yeah, it just didn't work out in the end. Okay, and before you mention your final one. Uh, I also will throw in my dishonorable mentions, uh, Money Plane. Oh, yeah. I, you told me about I, that. Yeah, I, I briefly talked about it. Again, the reason why it's on my mentions is because this was just <laughs> super low budget, <laughs> uh, almost like birdemic level of effects and stuff, so I can't be extremely hard on it. Uh, and Kelsey Grammer, the best part, again, not because his character was the best, but that's because I've never heard Kelsey Grammer say, I'm a bad motherfucker. Oh, shit. Um, also, Frasier reboot, reboot is coming. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and then my my second to last dishonorable mention is Like a Boss. I, that came I, out in I January. I saw that and I spaced it, so that, was, that would have been on here too. Uh, I finally got to watch it on Hulu. Uh, again, why it's a mention is because I left that movie going, you know what? This is stupid. This is predictable. But uh, the two leads actually had chemistry. They just had to be in a better film. And there was a lot to look at. Yeah. Uh, so your number one mention? Um, I don't know if you remember this one. Unhinged? I know of it. With, I never uh, saw it. Um, Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. I never saw it. Basically, it's your typical... I would say I would call it Liam Neeson lead of the past like couple, Taken, like, like Taken. Yes, yeah. literally reminded me of a ripoff of Taken. There was nothing new about it, nothing fresh, and it was just boring. Well, this one that was the first to film to like claim. Uh, we're gonna help bring theaters yes, back. Yes, it was. And stuff. Yeah. That's, that was that's like March, what, April. Yeah, uh, and my number one dishonorable mention that bear, that didn't make mine is The Lovebirds. Oh, damn. <laughs> I forgot a lot, man. Yeah. I actually was really looking yeah. forward to this. Uh, so the two leads are good actors. Yeah. And uh, it got pushed onto Netflix due to the pandemic. Yeah. I finally watched it, and I was extremely disappointed because the first, I don't know, minute and a half was that good stuff of the relationship blossoming. And then after that, it cuts to, like, what, three or four years wow. later. And it's just them arguing and yelling all the time. Uh, and why it's a mention is because it did kind of get me a laugh once in a while, but I, I was really looking forward to it, and it was a big disappointment. Yeah. So That's three I've forgotten already. Wow. Okay, so, but now to the shit show. Uh, you're number 10. Keep in mind uh, that these could go in any order, except for probably, probably the, the first, the top couple, but these were kind of just thrown around. Number 10 is Hillbilly Elegy. Okay. Um, directed by Ron Howard. Uh, the guy's name, I believe, was J.D., and he was going back to his hometown, his Appalachian hometown or whatever, mm-hmm. to back to where uh, his mom, which is played by Amy Adams, and his mamma, which is played by Glenn Close. Um, basically, for me... Um, I don't know how else to say it other than it was a, a bland melodrama movie. 
Um, nothing really special about it. It was kind of like an Oscar grab gone wrong. There was Oscar like, bait. Yeah, yeah. And then there was no character building whatsoever. I thought this was one of Amy Adams' worst performances. Not really blaming, I don't know if I really blame her though, but I guess what she was given, it was really bad. And it just, the movie felt safe and didn't take any chances that could have made it better in the long run. And it just wasn't my type of movie. I didn't like it. Okay. Uh, and just, just before I start my top ten, the way that I've kind of gone about worse of the year, in my opinion, uh, I kind of lean a little bit more heavy on, like, you know, how I felt about it, like, as far as it hitting me. Mm-hmm. Like, not even necessarily even disappointment is the biggest factor. Uh, how much did it offend me is a bigger oh, really? thing. Uh, but my number 10 is the most disappointing film for the year for me, and that's Wonder Woman 84. I have no issue with that. That would have been in my okay movies, and I don't even know why I, I would have put it there. I stretched for a long time about keeping this on the okays and stuff, but the the just more I thought about it, I was just like, this was so long. It was so dragging and boring so many times. The characterization of Wonder Woman, I thought, was terrible in this. Uh, and not to mention... Uh, it just raises so many just odd questions, especially with Chris Pine's character. <laughs> I, I still, Be- when I saw him as the other guy, I so I literally looked. I was like, "What the?" <laughs> because you do realize now, this film caused the whole debate about is Wonder Woman raping a man? <laughs> because Chris Pine, she sees him in this other human body, but he has no control over it. But we all know that it's a different person. So that was a weird element. Uh, I don't want to take a giant shot on Kristen Wiig because I've seen her actually be good and act different, but she's just being told to be Kristen Wiig in this. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Um, And I I, I flip-flopped my feelings on Pedro Pascal in this because on one hand, I thought he was the most charismatic person in this whole thing. But again, he also felt like it was just a, uh, let's say he was acting like a certain politicianal person. In fact, his background fit that a lot. Uh, I just didn't get his whole, well, I got it, but then he started going into the satellite stuff, and I was like, this is getting a little out of control for me. Also, the ending is a giant, just like, what the fuck? Because if you think about it, the villain gets no... like is not held accountable for what he just did yeah. or or as far as what we've seen so the fact that this is the most disappointing movie because I was looking so much yeah. forward and the fact that it's that this film is at the bottom for me of the current DCEU I never thought I'd be saying that so I had to put this at number 10 in, in my top uh, you're number 9 <laughs> I'm pretty sure this came out before the pandemic or yeah, I was. I'm pretty sure it was the first couple of months. Brahms the boy too. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't. Basically, this. it's exactly like the first one. Yeah, uh, you know, the boy discovers a doll and appears to be eerily human, just like in the first one. And I was like, I turned. I was like, hey, does that sound familiar? You know, and literally the the trailer looked exactly like the first one did, and it just 
boring. Um, the the fact that I would say the first one is better is pretty bad because it's above average at best and uh, it's probably one of the worst horror trope movies of all time too now so, the, the only thing I'll throw into here is because of what I've heard of the film again not watched it but I've heard that if you watch the first if you watch the first one this one completely like undoes that because the first one states that there is no yeah. supernatural. Yeah. And in this one, they are saying it's supernatural, yeah. so you'll be completely lost. Yeah. I, again, there was this is another one that there was nothing fresh or original about it, and mm-hmm. it was just it's very forgettable. And I hate I hate horror tropes uh, so much. This is this is one of the leaders in that, and I will never watch it again. Um, my number nine is Capone. <laughs> Damn it! I forgot that. <laughs> oh my god. See, this is what happens when I do research into the God, year. Yeah, you did a lot more than I did. I'm uh, th- This was, again, initially one I was actually kind of looking forward to. I was. heard Tom, Tom, Tom Hardy being as Capone. And I then, though, would have held my restrictions as soon as I saw who was directing it, being Josh Trank, who did Fan Stick. No, I didn't know that. Uh, wow. And then I actually then found out, like, what the actual premise was, and I was like, okay, so this isn't a typical, like, Capone Mafia movie that we would think we were seeing. This is his, like, last year of living. He's he's brought back home from prison after dealing with syphilis for so many years, and he's just dying out. And, like, bodily fluids and stuff are just spraying everywhere, which, uh... To be fair, is actually some of the more gross parts, but sometimes kind of funny too. Uh, but with, then, like with this whole backstory on them trying to find like this, like money and stuff that he's hidden somewhere around his million complex and stuff. But it's basically just Tom Hardy walking around, imagining something in the dark, blowing some kind of fluid out of some orifice. <laughs> And then I'm just feeling bad for Linda Cardellini being in this. <laughs> because, she's again, awesome. she's easily the best thing because she's actually putting in more effort. And Tom Hardy, I'm pretty sure he's going 100% on what the director wanted him to do. So that's also why I'm not extremely hard. But I will admit this did give me an image of for, that would hold for a while, which is the image of Tom Hardy as Capone in a bathrobe with a gold-plated Tommy gun and a full fucking diaper. (laughs) Oh, wait. And a carrot in his mouth. Because they have to put it in there because he can't smoke anymore. (laughs) Yeah, that was a meme. I remember that. So, (laughs) kind of funnily bad, but also too boring at the same time. Um, You're number eight. Um, This is another... Well, they're all forgettable. But... Mm. uh, the the title of it kind of intrigued me. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's called The Last Days of American Crime. I've been hearing about this. I, again, um, it's one I've not watched. Basically, two men and two women plan a heist, supposedly, of the century. And uh, they do it before a government broadcast signal that's uh, supposed to wipe out crime forever. And I was like, what the hell? Hmm. I'm just going to watch it. But basically... Um, Charlton Copley's in it. I, I didn't really recognize any of the rest of the actors and actresses. 
but um, basically the movie's too long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's poorly acted, lazily written. Um, the shots are terrible. I, it's one of those movies that kind of gave me motion sickness, and I don't get that a lot in movies. But some of the some of the like the the movements and everything were. You talking about like shaky cam? Yeah. I, so it was, it was like Paul, it was like Paul Greengrass. Yeah. Like, born Identity. Yeah. And it was just visually generic. I felt like they, yeah. you know, it just, I don't know, it just nothing popped out to me. It was boring, uninspiring, and uh, an attempt at an action thriller that was full of uh, genre cliches. And that's a lot. Do you so. remember how long it was? Like over two hours? I think so. It was two fifteen. Yeah. Because we already stated, like, Wonder Woman was too long. I was wondering if it was, like, that length. Like, two and a half, that's, like, pushing it. I think even two is probably pushing it from the way, like, that this sounds. Uh, two hours and 29 minutes. Okay. There you go, bud. Uh, I didn't even remember how long it was. It just felt that long. <laughs> so, there you go. Okay. Uh... My number eight was John Henry. Oh, I, I, you, I, I, you, I, you, you might be talking about yep. that a little bit later. So. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, th- th- this was one that I found out about from another YouTube channel. I, f- I didn't know about this. I saw Terry Crews as the, tip- as the titular character, and I was like, okay, yeah, maybe. Uh, but what is this that they're going... Okay, it's John Henry set in gangster L.A. <laughs> but he's not like a supernatural thing. He's just given the name John Henry. Okay. It's still Terry Crews, so I'll still watch it. And this is the least charismatic Terry Crews has ever been. And I like Car- Terry Crews so much, but it was so dull. And Ludacris was in it. Ludacris was the character name of him was Hell, <laughs> and but I thought like his name was Lockjaw because of his whole jaw like thing that he has, but it's because he has fire and uses a torch. Um, again, though, why this is not higher on my list because again the disappointing factor is he doesn't even hold his freaking hammer until like an hour, ten minutes into this hour and a half movie. Uh, there were a few things that were pretty funny in it because there was the part where like this ga- like this gang decked out all in white gets shot up and just one just looks like he was like just so annoyed with it. he's just like it, it was just terrible acting and just a weird ass story and stuff so yeah if there were more kind of comical scenes like that I could have had more enjoyment but no it was just boring uh, year number seven. I'm not going to talk a lot about this one, but it's a movie called The Tax Collector. And it broke Shia LaBeouf's streak for me because he had such a good streak going. And I'm like, you know what, maybe this will you know, keep, keep it going. And then I saw George Lopez was in it. But basically it's about a bunch of enforcers and crime lords colliding. And I guess old enemies and old, uh, what's the word? Um, old, I guess, grudges from the mm-hmm. past come back to haunt them, and uh, it's basically just a crime drama that should have never been made. And it, from beginning to end, it didn't uh, 
interest me at all. Basically, it was a it's a knockoff of a lot of the movies they try to do. It's just basically a lot of shooting, uh, mm-hmm. no character development or anything like that. And I was like, man, that sucks because you know Shia LaBeouf had that streak going, but uh, it was extremely forgettable. Um, this was again one that I had kind of set on my list to watch, yeah. and I never got. I just was like, okay, you know what? I'm just gonna end up skipping this. Take it off. <laughs> uh, the one, the only things I'll probably point out that I have found out, uh, this was directed by David Ayer, yeah, who also did End of Watch, a really good movie, and Suicide Squad, not so good a movie. It's he's uh, got the and A-man, yeah, A-man. and from what I heard, uh, Shia LaBeouf plays a white guy, but he's acting, uh, let's say Hispanic. Yeah. He's got, he's got the so, accent. So that's so that's been like the whole other controversy and stuff around it, but Isn't not that? diving too much into that. No. Uh, my number seven was Hubie Halloween. God damn it! What the hell? Yeah. Uh, and I know some people that I, that have seen this and they really liked it. I'm sorry. This is just again Adam Sandler's typical Adam Sandlerisms just put into this movie. Uh, I've heard actually some people say that it feels like and could be considered Waterboy Part Two. Oh God! Don't uh, don't, don't call it that. <laughs> um, but it was just the laziest gags, just the laziest humor. I was just like, yeah, this is gonna happen. This is gonna happen. And probably the least developed love interest that I've ever seen Adam Sandler with, which was with Julie Julie Bowen yeah, from Modern Family. Awesome. Like, there's literally nothing about her told. She's just there. Mm-hmm. She likes him, and that's it. Um, and other than that, there's just so many things about the character that just made absolutely no sense. And again, it's filled with. Actors and cameos. Yep, because that's just what it—that's yep. what it typically is. I—I uh, I, I know why some people enjoyed it. I'm sorry, I'm fed up with this. I can't take any more. I want more uncut gem stuff. Oh yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say his Netflix career. Yeah, I finally showed that to my mom, and she thought it was really good. So. I love it. Mm. Uh, you're number six. This is the one probably with the weirdest premise of last year. Um, saying a lot. Yeah, it's called Force of Nature. I never. So <laughs> it's got Emil Hirsch and Mel Gibson. <laughs> okay, and it's I think Emil Hirsch was a policeman and uh, uh, Mel Gibson was a former cop, and they uh, battle a gang of thieves for fifty-five million dollars inside evacuated building during a hurricane. Wait, wait, this is making sense. I've heard of this. And I was like, what the? And I watched it, and it's literally bad from start to finish. I mean, uh, the lack of care and the budget definitely shows. Um, <laughs> it's supposed to take place during a hurricane, but the movie itself is just another disaster in itself. So, uh, no chemistry between the two leads at all. It was just. Weird, 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 and I didn't don't know how they thought that was gonna work. I don't know what reviews you've seen on it, but I I, <laughs> I recall I heard one channel that I follow talked about it, but I had completely forgotten about it yep. afterwards. Yep, it was just weird. 
Um, my number six is one that you previously mentioned. It's just higher up on mine. That's Hillbilly Elegy. Mm. Uh, the, the reason, though, for me why it's higher up on my list is because, like you mentioned, Amy Adams was pretty terrible in this. So I'm not blaming her. I'm blaming the directing. Yeah, she's great. Uh, because... This is the thing for me now with Ron Howard. I've, I'm, I, mm. I have joined this bus that has started about him. He has become the blandest director working now where it's just like, I am here, let's shoot it, and let, there's no other stylistics to it. It's like, what happened to him, man? You know, he's done good stuff. Oh, yeah, he's done tremendous things. Like, I want to go back to, like, Apollo 13 mm. and stuff like that. But he's just been, like, this just safe standard thing. Um, I would. This is the toughest part for me. I would say the best person is Glenn Close, but she's this averaging thing of kind of the best person, but then still the worst person because she's still kind of racist. Yep. Yep. Um, because this is the other thing why I really despised this movie because it felt like this is trying to have you feel sympathy for. Trump supporters. <laughs> That's my main thing. Uh, and then the other, uh, on top of it, is the guy that you were talking about that this is about, JD, JD. who wrote the memoir that this is based off of, uh, just as a person, in my opinion. Not the greatest person. <laughs> He's one of these, pick your by your bootstraps and you can do it too, and stuff like that. Where it's like, no, there's more to this, you ignorant, stupid fuck. <laughs> Um, so yeah, that's why it fell higher up on my list. No complaint um, for me. And that's halfway through. Oh boy. Now we're at the top five, and what is starting your top five, Mr. Nick? Another uh, January release. One that I went to see, but I, I'm glad you didn't go see it with me. Blumhouse's <laughs> Fantasy Island. I did. Uh, again, this was one that I was just going... So I guess you went to go see this, okay? So did you save me some agony? Yes, I did. But um, not that I'm asking you to. <laughs> uh, Mr. Rourke, who's played by Michael Pena, basically uh, makes, I guess, secret dreams of the guests, you know, to come true at a luxurious tropical resort, as you saw in the trailer. Mm -hmm. It's literally the same thing over and over again. Yeah, the fantasies turn into nightmares and the visitors have to, you know, figure out the island's mystery in order to escape alive. Woohoo, you know, that's nothing new. Yeah. Uh, basically, I said the same old shit. And it's been redone so many times, it's not even funny. But Lucy Hale and Michael Rooker at least try. And I'm not <laughs> saying they're great, but Michael Rooker's, you know, always trying. He was, he's, he was definitely comedy relief. Um, you know, it... I, I feel like Blumhouse like has a gun to Lucy Hill's face head oh, right yeah. now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, it tried to show audiences the dark side of wish fulfillment, and it just served as a cautionary tale about the dangers of long-dead franchises, because this one should be long-dead. It should never be touched again. It was cheesy. The writing was mm -hmm. terrible. And it was very predictable, and I hate horror movies like that. Um, the only thing I'll throw on to this is something that I heard as somebody was talking about it was I, he didn't hate the premise because it's like at least it's different than what the actual like 
Fantasy Island show was. Yeah. But totally. the problem is it failed on executing that, like, because yeah. the biggest thing is it's a horror film and it's not scary. You're right. That and was the biggest thing I heard. Uh, I candy with Charlotte McKinney for about a minute. At least I got to see her this time. <laughs> okay. Um, my number five, I, I, I'm for sure is on your list. It's just higher up for you. Uh, my number five is Doodle. Oh, oh yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I, I finally got around to watching this on streaming. Uh, what's it streaming on? I, I bought it on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. I rented it. Okay. Um, but I also saw a lengthy review on it. So that's why I felt compelled. Like, I guess I now have to watch it. Yeah. And oh yeah, it was a pretty colossal train wreck with a bunch of what the fucks, uh, what is this? Um, and again, this is this felt like a studio film, like the studio Disney took over and made them do reshoots and chop it up because this was a passion project for Robert Downey Jr. In fact, he's one of the producers, I'm pretty sure. Um, and you can tell the reshoots and the dubbing because he's covering up his face or covering up his lips so much. And again, what is that accent that he's doing? It's supposed to be like a, an English accent, right? Well, I think it's like supposed to be Welsh or Danish yeah, or something like that. London, now, right? Now, now, the reason why I don't want to pick too hard on this is because I've seen people actually kind of defend like that's how some people in that region yeah. speak, so I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but it's just like... Uh, it, it was a pretty big headache at some points because of the insanity that was going on. When he dressed up as a chicken, that's when I about lost it. Uh, and then when the dragon sequence happened, that's when I really lost it. What in the... Yeah, uh, I lost me. Uh, the only reason why it's number five for me is there was at least one legitimate laugh out of me that was really hard, and that involved a fly. Oh, I'm the chosen one. I'm going to change the world. And then he gets eaten right away. I was like, okay, I like dark humor, so thanks. So many voices in this movie, too. Yeah, which didn't matter, really. No. Um, yeah, so my number five, Doolittle. Uh, you're number four. <sighs> number four, you've previously mentioned, so I'm not going to go too much into it, is John Henry. Mm -hmm. um, I You mentioned it to me, and I was like, well, i got to watch that. It's Terry Crews with a giant fucking sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, um, it, you know, could have and should have been a lot better uh, considering, you know, Terry Crews usually doesn't do bad things. It was just, well, I don't know. If it's bad things, he's the best thing. Very true. And I didn't know the director was the director. Wait, who directed this? Oh, I don't remember. You might be confusing the two. Yeah, I was. I was confusing this with, uh, Capone. Capone. Yeah. No, it's not him. Um, <laughs> But, I don't know, I just got caught up with something that it tried to be and it wasn't. Um, it's basically failed execution all around. Terry Crews, you know, at some points, I guess, looked good with the hammer. I don't know what else to say about it. Uh, like, it like, like, you look at him, he does actually look like John Henry. Yeah, humongous. But I will give it one thing, it had a decent soundtrack. Other than that... You got nothing out of me, and I completely agree with you. Ever all the points you made about it. Okay, um, my number four. Let's get ready for this because if somebody listens to this, they'll get a good kick. Because it's not like we've not talked enough about this. 
Number four is the Kissing Booth 2. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> uh, talked a lot about it. I'm ready to hear about this. Yeah. So I got basically dared or encouraged from another fellow friend of ours, Jamie, Miss Mother Hen, um, to watch Kissing Booth 2 and stuff like this. I have not seen Kissing Booth 1, but, you know, I didn't really need to because it had a whole first part of a recap. Oh, so I was like, okay, I guess I'm caught up now. And what then followed was one of the most annoying, why is this stretched out to over two hours movie where it felt like a freaking episodic thing where it's like just episodes that can easily get wrapped up in half an hour. It was the exact same plots of that stuff. And... Big, big concerns for me. This is just terrible writing for relationships in general, in my opinion. If you get a kick out of this, whatever. To me, this is a terrible look at it. Because, <laughs> uh, number one, you got the just clingiest friendship I've ever seen that is just, like, unrealistic. Because I, I, felt, bad, I felt worse for her friend's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Like, she was getting the short end of everything. Um, it deeply just sexualized men in certain ways, how they were talking, how women were talking about them, where I was just like, yeah, let's flip this role now. If this was men talking about women in this movie, what would be said about this? It would be looked at as sexist mm-hmm. and misogynistic. Uh, and some, and of course, many, if all the characters, Hey, they're supposed to be seniors in high school. They're fucking 30. <laughs> Some of them, I could see them trying to get away with it, but then there's people in it which I'm like, no, you, you're like 35 or something like that. Yeah, I don't even look the part. And like the conflict that's supposed to be with uh, the main, the main uh, girlfriend in this with the boyfriend who's at college at this point is... Oh, she's fearful that he might be cheating on her and stuff like that. Like, it's that typical thing. And number one, he never came across to me as he cared about the relationship several times, even though he was completely in the right the entire film. And number two, yeah, I could, you can have us thinking that he's cheating because the other person that is clearly ends up being his friend is doing stuff that no friend would be doing. <laughs> And then there's just stuff that involves, like, phones just being able to be accessed by anybody, where I'm like, yeah, because nobody locks their phones and, you know, has security on them. Just a lot of just inaccuracy, not realistic, and I have to point that out because it's taking place in a realistic setting, whereas something like Shape of Water is completely fantasy. (laughs) So, yeah. Thank you, Jamie, for that. <laughs> I think I'll want to pass on that one. Oh, don't worry, because before the like right before this one hit the streaming, there's already a third one trailer. Oh my God, because they're clearly continuing. It's gonna be like Sharknado. <laughs> uh, you're, you're number three. Uh, this one's I I fought this one back and forth between my number two, but then you reminded me of what eventually ended up being my number one. So this this fought for being number one originally. Mm-hmm. And that would be Disney's Artemis Fowl. Okay. Um, I will re- re- save my feelings. Um, 
basically, I kind of knew about the books and how a lot of people wanted this to happen, but I, I was unsure of it because I never read the books. It's about like a 12-year-old genius boy. And I don't even know if he's 12. I think he's younger than is that. Is he? I think he's, like, I think he's like 10 or so. Well, anyways, he's a descendant of a long line of criminal masterminds. <laughs> and uh, he battles a race of powerful fairies. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, okay. And uh, he supposedly thinks that they are behind his father's disappearance. Mm-hmm. And... The would-be franchise starter that this is will definitely anger a lot of people that who are like experts of the source material because again I am not and to leave newcomers like us befuddled because it, this movie is so frustrating to watch. Um, production issues, lackluster performances, and a really shoddy script that, uh, from what I've heard from others that are experts in this fails to adopt the simplest elements of the books. So it was just shit. Everybody in the movie was shit. And that's all I really have to say about it. Again, it, it definitely was up for number one at one point. Okay. Uh, my number three, which was, I believe, a mention for you. So that's how far this one wow. jumped up for me. Oh, I already know what it is. And that's Mulan. Yeah. 2020. I have to say that. Ulan 2020. Yeah. <laughs> um, the reason that this is so high on my list um, is no, no, number one, it completely fails at capturing anything remotely humanoid about anybody. Um, if you're a diehard fan of the original animated you'll be extremely pissed off at this because there's so many decisions that end up not making sense in this about either what happens in the movie or the way they went around about making the movie because they wanted it to be a more realistic portrayal of the legend Mulan which okay because again what was something that that falls into my whole thing about how much I feel about a film disappointment this was another giant disappointment because I actually had high hopes for this because of the Disney remakes that were happening, I heard there was no Mushu, mm-hmm. there was no songs, and it was going to be a grounded and realistic approach. And I was like, okay, thank you. You can break the streak now that has been so terrible. But somehow you did an even worse job because you failed at capturing even that. Because then you also have an actress that is completely emoteless. Like, there was, like, one frame of something where she, like, laughed or something. Like, that was, like, the only human part. But, and I, and I remember I posted this on my Facebook after I watched it. Um, if you thought that Rey from Star Wars was a just gifted Mary Sue, this, Mul- this 2020 Mulan said... Hold my beer. Because she doesn't have to learn anything. She's perfect from the get-go. As a kid, she's flying and sliding around rooftops and having no issues because they state as a fact in this, she's basically a mutant. She (laughs) she has superpowers. Or as they call it, their chi. 
Mm-hmm. And if they harness it well, they can do these supernatural and great abilities. So right there, you're already completely ruining the character off the bat because she actually has to learn Brain. and adapt yeah. and use her brain. That was her greatest weapon in the animated. But then what shoots it up even higher is the fact that I then heard... Because initially I felt bad for the director because I heard some stuff that she had made before this and it was like actually really good stuff. And they were like, no, she's actually probably the perfect person to adapt it. You then watch... <laughs> Because they showed even clips side by side of her in an interview saying, we didn't want to make Mulan a superhero. And then immediately cut to her flipping off of a horse and kicking a spear with her foot. And I'm like, no, you clearly did. We didn't want to use much wire work in this. There's wire work everywhere in this. (laughs) So either Disney has like a gun to her head and she has to say this stuff that's clearly lies... I don't know what, but this just aggravated and upset me so much that that's why it went so much higher up on my list. It would have been interesting that it had been number one because that would have been the second year in a row that you had. Yeah, well, that that would have been funny because of how far up actually some Disney movies are. Yes, not good. And then I didn't have to deal with this, but I did not pay the $30 to watch it. I waited. I, that that would have probably regret. drove it up to number two. That was another regret, yeah. Uh, your number two? <clears throat> My number two you talked about recently, so I'm not going to go too much into it. Uh, Doolittle. Uh-huh. Uh, I know it was a project that um, Robert Downey was passionate about, but I still feel like it was some sort of a cash grab for him because... Except it didn't make money. Well, yeah, I'm just saying, like, him himself, yeah. you know, because I know he, you know he made a lot from this movie, him himself. But just seeing all the people, and I wrote all of them down. Humans, Antonio Banderas, Michael Sheen, Jim Broadbent. Voices, Emma Thompson, Rami Malek, John Cena, Kumail Nagiani, Octavia Spencer, Tom Holland, Craig Robinson, Ralph Giannis, Selena Gomez, and more. I Does mean, that mean that, uh, oh gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Uh... Uh, he was in Lovebirds too. Kumail. Kumail. So this is like the second in a row. He was the voice of something that was on a worse list. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe he just stopped voice acting. The sad part is the first one. He was the best part about that. <laughs> um, but you know, like you said, it's definitely. I don't know if you did say this. It's better for younger audiences. It's more. I, to me, it's more meant for younger. But it gets a little bit dark. I think at, little, at times, but I think it's better for I, younger audiences. I actually think it's actually worse for younger audience because it treats them like stupid idiots. Eh, yeah, you might be right. Um, uh, it's a jumbled story. It's mm-hmm. uh, stale humor, um, and the villains are terrible. And yes, there's three of them. Yep. Okay, so <laughs> it's hard to believe that three of them can be terrible, but it, it happened. Uh he, Robert Downey to me just seemed, and he was had passionate about. It, he seemed uninterested at times and probably, confused yeah, to me because that was the reshoots. Yeah, and he just confused the whole time. I, I thought the CGI was poor at times as well. Oh yeah, and it just felt like the whole, like you just said it, the whole movie was patched together. Yeah. It just I didn't like it, and I, you know, I liked the first Doolittle movie. I remember. Eddie Murphy. And I saw this coming out, and I'm like, Well, that was a remake. Okay. First remake. 
Um, yeah, I was just really disappointed with this movie, and it was my original number one until Ian mentioned something. Okay, well, I guess then I'll have to save. Uh, but number two for me, you already talked about it, uh, Artemis Fowl. You watched it recently, didn't you? Um, More recently I, than that. I, I got it, like, towards the end of the year. Oh, okay. um, yeah, I mean, you hit a lot of the same points. I'll just kind of throw some other factual stuff on top, which is uh, character dialogue. None whatsoever. It's only exposition. <laughs> so what was another film that this felt like where it was also this and it's an hour and a half and trying to shut up a franchise? Last Airbender. This is what this felt like to me. And I was like, oh, no. Um, also, if you kind of recall, several scenes in the trailer that aren't actually in the film. Um, and to just throw some more shade on top of this, uh, the young Artemis that plays this, grandson of the great Robert Shaw. Oh, God. I didn't know that. I don't know what his son does, but clearly they have not transgressed to, uh, you know, second generation. God. <laughs> and uh, oh. this also went through several directors. Do you remember who ended up directing this, though? Kenneth Branagh. Oh, I don't know that name. Orion L. Sprax. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He directed this, which showed apparently he can't direct kids. <laughs> Some can't, like, I think Tim Burton has a hard time with that sometimes, but uh, the fact that this was only an hour, and a, maybe even an hour and a half. I think it was an hour and 31, so you're... It felt so long. Yeah. It felt like I was basically watching Kissing Booth 2, which is actually over two hours long. Uh, yeah, so I... And like you mentioned, uh, I, we have no reference on the oh, yeah, book yeah, yeah, series yeah. and stuff, so we can't compare that. But everybody that has, I have seen, mm -hmm. talked about, completely ruins it. Mm -hmm. So, and you know what? This obviously didn't make money because it got put under the Disney Plus, so we're probably not getting a franchise, so you don't have to worry. Woohoo! <laughs> so now, so yeah. Now you're uh, number one, thanks to the fact that I reminded you, apparently. Yeah. January movie last year once again. Um, for some reason, I thought it was December of nineteen. I don't know why I thought that. I guess it's because <laughs> it was the most shocking ending reaction overall in the theater that I've ever seen. Um, and that's the turning. Uh, let's go back to the you know, the trailer. The trailer actually didn't look too bad, you know. I mean, I, was, I, I didn't want to say I was really intrigued by it, but, you know, I was like, okay, I'll go see it. Uh, it's about a nanny named Kate and her two young orphan, I guess, you know, just two young orphans named Miles, who was played by Finn Wolfhard, mm -hmm. and uh, Flora, and I can't remember that little girl's name, but it's basically got an isolated gothic mansion in Maine. And, uh, and it was based on a, this is based on a novel which I had no idea about. Oh um, yeah, it's called Turning the Screw. And uh, it's apparently been adapted several times. <laughs> but she learns they are emotionally unstable and distance themselves from others, meaning like everybody. And come to find out, oh my God, the estate is haunted with an evil entity. And I'm sure we've heard this before. Mm -hmm. um, 
this movie was uninspiring and dull and had another movie with way too many haunted house tropes as well as a story that quite literally goes nowhere and jump scares and editing were all over the place the characters you couldn't get behind it's pretty much as you know a lot of the horror movies we've had lately but the worst part was the lazy and unfinished ending okay I just remember the ending coming and the credits started rolling and the movie was still going on so we were just sitting there we were like okay so maybe something's gonna happen and I just remember the movie turning off and more than one person saying is that it and to this day I still don't know if they have released an ending to this movie because it ended with nothing like it it's hard to explain mm-hmm. it just open-ended like oh there's gonna be a sequel or something like that it weirdest ending of a movie most disappointing ending of a movie there is there was no ending to the movie unless there's been one release that I don't know about but the turning was bad and I'm super glad Ian reminded me of this because I've kind of really been talking about this for about a year now yeah so I don't recommend it but I really really want Ian to watch it so one of these days he is gonna watch it Okay, although I don't know how you're going to get that around because that would involve you probably buying it. Probably on Amazon Prime for like 20 bucks, which is which pissed me off. That's my guess. Okay, that's the only thing I would think it would be on. I can't, it wouldn't be on HBO Max. It wouldn't be on uh, Netflix. Oh, it, there, there's something right there. The Blu-ray, which has alternate oh. ending. Oh, there you, there's... You know what? I might have to see the ending. Uh, yeah, I did not see that, so I can't really comment on it. Mm-hmm. But my number one is 365 Days, which I have talked about it several times kind of around you, but yep. not on here. Yep. This is probably by far the worst movie I probably have actually ever seen. Whoa! Because the, con- wow. the, the context is utterly unforgivable unforgivable it's about a gangster who just see the last thing he saw was a was a woman in a beach who was so beautiful and he thought he was about to die after getting shot but since he didn't he kidnaps her and holds him her captive for 365 days to fall in love with him don't worry if she doesn't she's completely able to go free and he's not ever going to break like you know personal boundaries he says he's never going to oh he breaks it all the time uh he also then has her chained up at one point on a bed and has another woman come in and start giving him a blowjob the worst part about this though is that this actually starts to work and then the film, like, how it's going, like, how it's directed and presented, like, a- after this is established that this is what is happening, it then starts to act like a romantic movie. Like, the plot points are the same. Like, here's a shopping montage. Here's this now. Oh, look at this. And the only reason that he's supposed to be in any way redeeming is that he saves her life at one point when she jumps off of a ship and saves her in like five seconds 
Once that happens, she, like, completely forgives him for everything he's been doing. So much so that she then is willing to then marry him after knowing him for two months. <laughs> I know I'm giving a lot away here, but I really don't want anybody else to watch this. Um, and then an open-ended ending, like you were just talking about with the yeah. turning, but it's either she then ends up dying or it's open-ended to where she's like the only survivor at one point because he's okay because there's a whole other gang kind of storyline plot going along which is just terribly and stupid but the reason why it's also open-ended is because this is a trilogy book series in Poland (laughs) and written by a woman Mm. And this is fan fiction writing off of Fifty Shades of Grey, which is fan fiction of Twilight. We are in a third degree of fan fiction. That is why this is so fucking terrible. And the fact that apparently Netflix then picked it up, because it only was in Poland for a week, because then so many people that saw it came out and said this is so misogynic. This is so degrading of women and such a terrible relationship just in general that it got pulled because of how badly it was getting received over there. Damn. So if there's ever a bad relationship on film that I see, I am immediately going to compare it to this. And I'm going to say, hey, that's not great, but it's not this level of horrible and fucked up. It's not great, but it's not 365 days. And this is also about two hours long. So it, again, feels too long. And again, I, I'm i going to kind of quote somebody. Uh, I'm going to quote Corey from Double Toasted, who I think is, they're amazing. Uh, he said, and I, uh, I agree with this quote, I never thought I would see a film that asked me to root for the rapist. <laughs> Oh, so, would you, are you intrigued to check it out? <laughs> I don't know if I could. I, I, I mean, I'm. This is kind of a test that I would give to Netflix, somebody so. to, that I would give to people. I've actually told Jamie to watch it because I thought she did watch it. No, I don't oh. think she has. Because where I've questioned some stuff that she's watched, like Fifty Shades and stuff like that. If you're into that, and I'm not necessarily going to try to throw people under the bus, but. If you watch this and are completely fine with this, I'm immediately questioning your morals. I'm stating that. Uh, so we have come to the conclusion of our worst of the year. Uh, get ready because we have another one coming up here real short. Uh, much more positive. The best of 2020. Uh, but until then, just a quick sign off from Mr. Nick here. Yeah, we'll be back with much better stuff. Uh, uh, this was not a pleasure at all. Well, was it? But was it kind of too? I, I mean, guess to get I, to get my you know, frustration. You know out. what? The more I think about it, no, we really didn't find much stuff to actually laugh at. <laughs> so, you know, it fits with 2020. This was a shitty fucking year. <laughs> but until then, please wait and check out so much more on the horizon upcoming. And now, it's time for some good shit.
please. <laughs> yeah, I know what happened there. <laughs> so yeah, we're gonna start off with that. <laughs> These are the good movies. Remember that. Uh, well, if, I hope that you've listened to our worst of the year list, uh, where Mr. Nickers Chicken over here uh, and I. Yeah, yeah, as we kept on talking, there really wasn't much, like, entertainingly bad, so, yeah. It's actually now going to feel good that we're talking about some good stuff, because, surprisingly, there actually was a fair amount of good things that came out in 2020. I, it was just, again, the stuff that came out in, like, the later half, of course, that helped round things out. Um, and then, like how I mentioned, a number of these came out, like, even this year, technically for us, that's why I had to wait too. Um, but yeah, like last time, we're gonna do uh, some honorable mentions first. Uh, Nick, you told me ahead of time that you had nine, and I actually have 15. So I'm gonna mention six before we start to get to yours. Uh, how are you feeling about your best? I think this was a harder list to put together than um, the worst just because, like you said, there was a lot towards the back end of the year that I just kept having to flip-flop things. And, uh, you know, some of these probably wouldn't have been in my okay list as well because of the year it was. So it's kind of hard to... Basically, I just put them all on the best because it's just hard to differentiate best and middle. Some of them are easy to do at the middle, like, you know... For me, one to one, but you know, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's probably several of these that I mentioned that would fall into my, you know, okay category. Then there's a few that were like very close contenders, and it was hard for me to get rid of them. But um, my first mention that I'm gonna say is it, it's kind of in between there because it's uh. One that I have, like, great admiration for, technically, and directing-wise, but there's too many things that I was also just not a giant fan of, and that's Tenant. Um, I appreciate the scope, the filmmaking of this, but this is easily my least favorite Christopher Nolan movie because it's also so long, so devoid of character in my opinion I did not get a grasp of anybody as a person in this and when it then came to like the big finale thing it was very cool and very ni nice to watch but I, I just felt so numb to it so that's why it's a mention I'm, I'm keeping it this is also the only movie this year I bought before I had actually watched it and I feel like I would have had a bigger appreciation for some of the stuff on the big screen but I still would have had some of the same problems in my opinion it's one of the two I saw yeah. in August it was that in New Mutants yeah <clears throat> um, another one that I'll mention is uh, Possessor mm -hmm. um, this was again one that I feel like when I was because I watched somebody that was talking about the thesis and the movement of the movie like I was like I was listening to an audiobook of it and I felt like I had more of an appreciation for it listening to it than watching it 
because, again, it was such a cold delivery of things, and I really actually appreciate a number of the things, and some of the visuals I thought were really good, and the fact that this is uh, the legendary Cronenberg's son that directed this. I'm like, okay, well, he's keeping the family tradition, I guess, going. Um, and I see, and I see, and I admire a lot of things about it. But it's just again, it falls into the ones that I don't know if I'll watch again. I'll probably come around to it again eventually, like and check it out again to see how I feel about it. But at the moment, I'm still iffy on it. Um, another mention for me is easily probably a lot of people's top ten, top five, even probably best movie of the year, and that's Nomadland. It finally got onto Hulu, so that's how I got to check it out. And I completely understand and get all the hype and build around it. It's just not a movie that I'm like, I am going to watch this again because it's deliberately slow-paced. And the, But the thing is, I can admire a lot about it. Frances McDormand is fucking fantastic in this. She's still one of the best actresses working right now. Uh, I see her being up for best actress, and I see her winning. And I also appreciate that it's actually dealt with actual nomads. Like, they're not actors. They're real nomads that live out there that give a realism to it. It's just the type of movie, the type of setting that it is, I'm not really going to go back to it. Um but I still admire a lot of things in it. Um, the, the movie that I was briefly talking to you about during the break, how I feel like Shia LaBeouf, though, came back, was this movie called Pieces of a Woman, where, yeah, he, it's uh, about a woman that uh, gives a very intense and very realistic birth in the beginning, and he's the... And they say this a number of times. He's actually not her husband. I don't think they ever actually got married because she calls him his partner, which, you know, I, I can contribute to being progressive. So, uh, but it's then like a dive into uh, court feelings because a uh, baby doesn't make it. Hmm. Uh, and so it turns into it was this. Uh, I'm trying to think of the title of the person. Uh, where they come to the home and help deliver the baby. Uh, fuck, why am I blanking on this name? But she's looked at as the reason why the baby died. That's why she's in court for... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, and then it's like the family like going about that, but then her dealing with, you know the fact that she lost her baby and that she's getting pressured to do this stuff. It's fine acting all around. It's just, again, one I don't know if I'll pick up and watch again. Uh, the lead woman is the same woman from uh, uh, Hobbs and Shaw. Oh, okay, yeah. His sister. Yeah. yeah, she's chosen this that she actually can really act, so that's why I appreciate it a lot. Uh, another one for me is Birds of Prey. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was not the biggest fan of it but I admit it's actually still a lot of stupid fun yeah. that's the best thing I can say good at it, so, I mean. um, and the last one I'll mention before you uh, is a film called Yes God Yes 
um, stars uh, the main sister from uh, Stranger Things. Oh, yeah. Uh, she uh, plays a young high schooler in uh, the early 2000s who goes to a Catholic school and is raised all about that, but then discovers porn. And there's oh, wow. just... I get the title now. Yeah, and there's a whole other things that happen involving just that subject, and I think it's actually a very funny and very good eye-opening thing about it. And it's also the, by far the shortest movie out of all these. It's only like an hour and ten minutes. But it's curr- I think it's currently on Netflix. That's why I would recommend it. Hmm. Um, so now to get to your honorable mentions, your first one. My first honorable mention is actually a Disney movie, and it's it was called Onward. Um, mm-hmm. We did actually get to review this. Yes, I, I think this was actually the last movie we uh, saw in yeah, theaters. It was one of the last ones for sure. But you know, it like I said, it had a lot, a lot, a lot of good things about it, and I definitely connected with it. It just didn't quite make my top ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first, my next one is Bad Boys for Life. Did briefly get to talk about this already in our previous. We actually did review it. And the experience uh, in the theater was so great. Yes, thank you, Bear. <laughs> uh, the biggest compliment I can give it, it's easily my favorite of the Bad Boys. Oh, yeah. Next for you? Next for me is uh, a movie called One Night in Miami. Okay. I'm not going to go into it, but it didn't quite make my top ten. Uh, you know what? I'll go ahead and jump to that one, too. Is One Night in Miami is also... It's one that I was like, uh, it's just barely missing out. Yeah. It, it was really good, but it's just, for for me, it just did not break it enough. Still a great film overall. Yeah. Your next one? Next one is Possessor. Uh, you know, I agree with everything you said about it. Um, easily um, I don't think it would have cr- ever cracked the top 10 but you know it was borderline honorable mention and maybe could have been in the uh, okay category but it definitely made honorable mentions okay um, the next one is I'm thinking of ending things um, th- this was such a tough one because I admired a number of things about it but the writing, which was a really good thing, was also a bad thing for me because it just came off really pretentious a number of times. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this again. The two leads were so good. Uh, your next one? The next one was, well, it was a surprising one. Actually, I think this is the last movie we saw before the pandemic. Okay. And it was The Hunt because okay, I, yeah. really, I really liked Lead. I forget her name, but I really enjoyed her. I, she was, I, I only ever know her from Glow. But she was fantastic in yeah, the movie, and I actually had a lot of fun with the movie, and it definitely made my honorable mentions. That I, I posted that on my Facebook. That fell into my okay category. Yeah, it was, I, I, was, I was surprised by it. Um, next one I'll mention is uh, Happiest Season. No, Don't think not. you've heard of this. It went to Hulu after not being able to go to theaters. But uh, probably the one that I would recommend to see a good actual romantic comedy relationship and it's actually about two lesbians and Kirsten Stewart is one of them wow show once again showing she actually can act (laughs) (laughs) there is something there yeah Uh, also it's a good one to put now put on for Christmas because it's a Christmas thing movie let me check it out your next one 
Next one is one you previously mentioned, and that's Tenant. Mm-hmm. I have seriously been going back and forth with this. Um, definitely bought it. Uh, I agree, though. It's definitely on lower on my list of Christopher Nolan movies. Just because I've watched it three times now, and I'm still... Jeez. Like, certain stuff just... I'm like, okay, that happened, but how does it connect with... You know, it just... Still, to me, it, it gets me there, but it had some good acting, and, you know, Robert Pattinson's just blowing my mind, so... Real quick, I forgot to say this. A perfect summary of that movie experience for me was getting told physics while riding a roller coaster. Hmm. Um, my next honorable mention is The Invisible Man. Ooh. I thought this was a really good reboot film horror, and we, we did get to review this. Uh, easily, Elizabeth Moss oh, should definitely awesome. be it for Best Actress. I agree. Next for you. Uh, News of the World. It's never saw it. Tom Hanks was fantastic in this movie. That's all I'm going to say about it. Um, definitely thought about making it number ten, and I didn't. So I recommend it. Um, is that on HBO? I think so. Okay. Um, my next honorable mention is Anola Holmes. Uh, yeah, I finally got to watch this on Netflix, and it's just you know. Very fun, charming kind of Sherlock Holmes movie, but not about Sherlock Holmes. Yep. So. And Billy Bobby Brown is yes. great. Your next one? Next one was Borat, subsequent movie film. Um, didn't know. <laughs> I, I kind of knew what I was getting myself into, but oh, man. I, it was craziness. It was, I think it was crazier than the first one. That's saying a lot. Um, I still think I'd give the first one the advantage, but... This one is surprisingly good, and Tasha Baron Cohen is unbelievable. Um, my next honorable mention is probably what would fall under actually my probably my favorite horror film of the year, which was The Lodge. Um, very cool psych- psychological, like trapped in the cold, like a Shining kind of feeling movie. It just has a twist that either works for you or doesn't. And I completely understand if it doesn't, and I even had an issue at first, but then when I kept on thinking more about how it ends and stuff, I can't, without spoiling anything, I'm just going to say, you kind of deserved it. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to see that and get around to it. I remember seeing the previews for it. Uh, your next one? Uh, next one is Enola Holmes. Um, I, you know... I saw Henry Cavill and Billy Bobby Brown, and I'm like, well, I got to see it. And people wouldn't shut up, shut up about it, and kept getting in my ear about it. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to watch it. And I like, you know, people just didn't realize, you know, it's not Sherlock. So um, my next one is Run, also a Hulu original. Uh, probably my favorite thriller of the year. Uh, I'm trying to remember her name, uh, Sarah. Just Paulson uh, from Sarah Paulson. Yeah, she was really good in this. Uh, and actually, the then lead character that it's about, which is about a woman that's in a, dealing in a wheelchair, is a real person in a wheelchair. So that was a nice kind of realism to it. Um, that that and One Night in Miami were the two that I was just duking it out if it could top the top ten for me. And uh, your final mention. Uh, Harley Quinn, Birds of Prey. Uh, there was certain things I liked about it. Um, it was definitely never going into my top ten best, but it, like I said, it, it was a lot of fun, and you know, 
has one of my favorite actresses in it. So, and she, I thought she was pretty good. So, yeah, yeah, she's usually the best thing in it. Uh, and my last honorable mention is Mank. Um, th- this is also the one that I would put in my special bubble category of this is the one that's going to win the awards because it's directed by David Lynch, stars Gary Oldman as mm. uh, Horde, I think Horde Mankiewicz, and it's about, <laughs> and it's about the his struggle with uh, earning the writing credits for Citizen Kane. Oh. But the very interesting thing is, and the the part that I'm seeing it win the award stuff is the directing, the cinematography, all the technical stuff, because they make it look like it's a film from back then, like all the little touches and stuff in it. Now, the part where it falls is some of the characterizations are not great, and it deals with a lot of political Hollywood stuff that you may not know about. I, I did not know about. But it also kind of it could be a good like prequel before Citizen Kane to watch because of how close it is to the realism. And apparently this was a script written by David Lynch's father before he passed away. Oh. And he's been trying to actually get this movie made for several years. Long time. Like before seven no. He's been trying to. He's no. been basically been trying to have like that credibility to make it. Um, but it's time now to get into the top ten and see what were our favorites <laughs> of the dumpster fire year of twenty twenty. So to kick off our top ten, Nick, your number ten. <clears throat> My number ten is actually a third installment of a series, or well, movie series, and it was long awaited, that is Bill and Ted Face the Music. I have um, not seen any of the Bill and Ted's. Uh, basically, you know, I was happy to see that Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves reprised the roles as Bill and Ted, and fully expected them to, I just didn't expect Keanu to shave his beard. <laughs> that was interesting to see, but... Wick without a beard. Yeah, and, and this one, it was... Uh, Basically, a ruler of the future told the duo that they must compose a song to save life as we know it. And but instead of writing it, they wanted to travel through time, which you know they did in the first two, yet again, and steal it from their older selves. Which you know I was like, okay, well maybe this might be all right. But meanwhile, their young daughters devised their own musical scheme to help their fathers bring harmony back to the universe and it was just basically it's in my top 10 because it's the best of the three and it shocked me um it's wholesome goofy as the you know the heroes and it's a rare long-bladed sequel that largely recaptures the franchise's original charm and it just surprised the hell out of me um definitely a movie that i needed for 2020 because i laughed so hard and um like I said, it was the best in the trilogy, and I think that's why I made my top ten, just because I was so surprised. Hey, and you know, this is your own personal top yeah, ten, so I think it's, yeah. if it gave yeah. you the good time you needed, that's why. I was just uh, shocked. I, as I stated, I have just never seen any of the Bill and Ted's, so... Yeah, you'll, uh, you'll miss George Carlin in this one, because he was in the first two. <laughs> uh, I think we miss him already. Oh, yeah. Um, my number 10 is probably my favorite 
theater experience that I got <laughs> in 2020, and that was The Gentleman. Oh, God. Well, I forgot about that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Guy Ritchie going back to his roots and doing gangster movies taking place in England uh, with one hell of a stellar cast, Matthew McConaughey. Um, oh, gosh. Why not? Hugh Grant, who he was the, my favorite. He was the best thing in it, and uh, Charlie Huffman, yeah. keeping up his kind of guns of An- sons of anarchy persona in it. This was just the the writing on this was so good, witty because there was a reason why they were calling him why they were calling Guy Ritchie the uh, Quentin Tarantino of uh, England and stuff like his writing, uh, so witty and so funny and insane at the same time again Colin Firth was also really good in it so this was just a fun experience it was it was also one of the very few uh, movies so far that came out last year that I also have now owned Uh, but that was also a gift so thanks Uh, but yeah no that was easily the best theater experience I had last year so that's why it definitely had to make in my top 10 uh, your number nine? Well, that, I'm just going to put that in my honorable mention. <laughs> because I completely forgot. I don't know how I forgot because it was pretty good. My number nine is my best movie experience we had, and that was Bad Boys for Life. Um, <laughs> again, I'm also basing this on, just like the last one, it's surprising the hell out of me and being the best of the trilogy. You know, you just don't see that very often when the third one... So the, fir- so the first two of the yeah. top ten have the exact yes. same kind of... Yeah, and again, you know, Mike played by Will Smith and Mark or Marcus played by Martin Lawrence are back. You know, obviously they they had to be. Yeah. And uh, like I said, this is the best and most story driven installment of the series. There was actually a story, and that kind of surprised me just because I thought I was going to be you know those two joking around the whole time, which is fine. But you know, I, I'd seen it before. But uh, they're trying to stop the wife and son of a Mexican drug lord and they're on a vengeful quest <laughs> to kill all those involved in the trial and punishment. So they soon realize they have to get along with their new counterparts from AMO, AMMO, and they don't quite immediately... Because it's the new and the yeah, old. Yeah. Uh, basically, they're teaming together to take it on the cartel, but they don't, they don't get along at first. And, you know, they're old and new and they have their own ideas on how to do things but uh this movie just loaded up with action and laughs um it's not the perfect movie but you know i was happy with it and for me it kind of reinvigorated the long dormant franchise by you know playing squarely to its strengths which is the double helping of the leading man charisma which i call them and the theater experience was extremely memorable because of Bear. Yeah. So I, I really enjoyed the movie, and uh, I own it. Um, the biggest two positives I can say of it, number one, the biggest one that drove me to go actually watch it was not directed by Michael Bay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and number two, Martin Lawrence actually connect in this. He actually was very good. There were just a few other things involving the ending that I was not a big fan of. Uh, my number nine is The Five Bloods. Uh, Spike Lee still crushing it. He's still on his streak. Um, and, and this was a very good callback and 
that that's kind of what ends up happening towards the bottom part of my list here is how relevant some stuff yeah. is. Um, I also really liked the uh, aspect ratio changing from like modern times to back when they're yep. in Vietnam, like mm-hmm. to the four by five, which was like how Lighthouse was. Yep. Um, stellar performances all around. Uh, I I forget his name, but I forget. I, I know you're talking uh, about. That he should definitely be the winner of best supporting actor in yep. this. And uh, I mean, you might hear his name a little bit later for me, but Chadwick Boseman also. My boy, rest uh, in peace. Th- this also for uh, all of us that were dealing with his passing after we watched it uh, hit a little home with some of the things involving his character. Um, the o- the only things that kind of pushed it back a little bit for me was uh, I feel like it was just a little too long, and uh, I felt like how Black Klansman was like a. Uh, He's telling you the story, then like the last few minutes, he hits you over the head with his message. This was a little bit more ringing on the head with his message, so, but that's just his style. So, um, your number eight. My number eight was, and one of that I kind of tossed back and forth, but I remember liking it awfully well, and that's promising young women. Um, uh, woman. I think you said women. I think it is women. Is it a woman? Pretty sure he's promising a woman. I've not even seen it, but I've heard yeah. I've heard a lot about it. But anyways, um I I actually have a like on my Amazon cart saved to probably buy it to check it out because of how much I've heard of it. Yeah, it's got a pretty big cast and um Sorry, check out the name. I, I've heard the lead the, I've heard the lead actress yes, is amazing. Carrie Mulligan. She uh, plays a lady named Cassie, and um, she, you know, is wickedly smart and cunning and beautiful, and that would, that's what makes it interesting because, you know, people, you know, automatically think, she, you know, she's just a Barbie doll, whatever, but secretly she's kind of living a double life at night, and uh, an unexpected encounter, you know, gives her a chance to right the wrongs of her past, and uh, it's a boldly provocative movie. It's like a timely thriller, and it's actually an auspicious feature debut for writer and director Emerald Fennell, and a career highlight for Carrie Mulligan. I thought she was fantastic in the movie. Um, it's a provoking film, close enough to like an original superhero revenge story to feel like a much-needed change to the usual actual thrill ride, action thrill ride, and uh, it also stars Laverne Cox, Christopher Men's Plass, Molly Shannon, Allison Brie, Adam Brody, and Max Greenfield. I highly recommend this movie. This is so much better. It's kind of reminded me of when you were talking about your worst earlier with... Uh, uh, 365? No, uh, it was in your mentions, I think. It was uh, with uh, John Malkovich. Because oh, she, she was supposed to be like a, like a badass. Right? Yeah. This movie was good in that sense. Um, two, two questions I'm going to then pull out for you. Uh, now, now, but the thing about this I've heard is it que- it has you question like how you feel about her character, which is yeah. not a negative. It, it's, it, it's a 50-50 kind yeah. of feeling. That's right. And with, without giving it away, because it's the big thing that I've been hearing about is your feeling on the ending. 
do, do, in, did you like it? And in your opinion, if I get around to finally watching it, will I be a fan of it? That's tough. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I, I would give it more positive than I would negative. It's, it's, it's one of those definitely, you know, you're going to like it or you don't. And it depends on you. Yes. It depends on, you know, how you feel about certain things. And I, I do think you'll like the ending and I do recommend it. Okay. Um, my number eight is Hamilton oh. from Disney plus, uh, was starting to hear about this musical kind of rounding around. I heard that it was going to be on Disney Plus, and I was like, yeah, maybe I will check it out. I've been getting much more into musicals. I then kind of put it on a back burner when I saw how long it was. Mm -hmm. It's almost three hours long, which I was just talking about Five Bloods, which is two and a half hours. Um, The difference is... uh, This was just something that I had not seen like any of the other films this like stage production was amazing uh it also was pretty much like being taught a lesson that is not really taught about which is about one of the founding fathers that's not talked about alexander hamilton because he's more remembered for his death than his other contributions which actually he contributed much more than what people get are giving him credit for but not only that but it's like a very inventive hip hop kind of sing along kind of musical thing and it features actually a couple people that were in one of my favorite films uh, a couple years ago which was blind spotting it features the main guy that it's about and one of the other actresses that was from it and he is a standout when it came to that hip hop rap stuff Mm -hmm. because he's like oh no I actually can do this and there was just so much very innovative things like that you could see like that's actually how it should work out in a political standing um i do agree with some of the criticism i've seen where it doesn't really touch a whole lot with uh the fact that all these people own slaves but I also agree with the fact that it is kind of brought up in a wink and a nod way, but it's also being every character is either black, uh, Hispanic, or it's a, another race. There's only one white person in this entire cast, and he plays King George. <laughs> and he gives a memorable performance for both the right and wrong kind of reasons, because it's entertainingly... Not really awful, but bad. I don't know. Uh, it's a it, it's a commitment, you know, because it's almost three hours. But I would highly recommend. I almost would want to say I want to actually see the stage production, but I also feel like I got the best seat where I could see everything. So that's why I highly recommend to have Hamilton. Uh, your number seven. So initially, I wasn't too interested in this movie when I, you know, saw the trailer. But I was like, oh, I'll check it out anyways. It was, I think it was <clears throat> just a boring Friday night. I was like, oh, screw it, I'll watch it. And I actually ended up being my number seven. That's called Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. This is one um, I've been hearing enough about, but I'm curious about um, more about how you got around to watching it. Because uh, <laughs> I've been, I had a reviewer I watched review it, and he gave pretty good praise to it and I was like oh, I'll check it out did you watch on Amazon 
Yes. Because that, that, that was like the number one thing. I, I didn't know yeah, how to I think find it. Was, it. I think it was $9.99 or $5.99 or something like that. But uh, it was about a lady named Autumn, played by huh, yeah. played by Sydney Flanagan, who I'm just going to say I think should be up for Best Actress. This was her um, first role. Too. Yeah, right? I think it was a perfect um, role for her. First role, I should say. It was a huge one. Basically, she was faced with an unintended pregnancy and uh, didn't have any local support from anybody. And her cousin Skylar and her travel across state lines of New York City on a journey of friendship. And I think it's really cool. I like the, I love the connection between those two. And I think they're both actually rising actresses. And they were, gave unbelievable performances. And it was about bravery and compassion. I'm usually not you know, wholeheartedly into all that stuff, but I don't know, it just hit me a certain way. And it was powerfully acted and directed. And uh, the director, Eliza Hitman, I believe is her name, she is known for her uh, sensitivity and grace, which is uncommon with a lot of directors, and she hits all the right notes in this movie, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah, again, I've won and heard numerous things, but I did not get around to watching, and I didn't really know how to watch it, so. Yeah. Um, my number seven is Palm Springs. Uh, Hulu picked up original, starring uh, Andy Sandberg. <laughs> Again, you would think that, okay, we're doing another Groundhog's Day cash-in because it involves him and somebody else that are stuck in a time loop living the same day over and over again. <laughs> However, here's one difference. He's not the only one experiencing this because then uh, the woman that ends up joining and ends up being a part of it. And so she's like, and he's been like so stuck in the rut of, yeah, I don't care. I'm just coming back to the same old day over and over. She then enters that equation and she's like no i want to get out of here so i need to fig. we need to figure out how to get out um jk simmons is also in this mm. and he's terrific as usual uh who also is stuck in the same loop somehow i'm not gonna get into how yeah um but uh and Andy, once again, is showing when he's not tied down to, let's say, certain production companies and certain people. Uh, he, he shows he can do much more than, like, SNL comedy and stuff, and he's really good. Also really funny. Like, there's actually, like, good comedy throughout this entire thing. And it's also, again, going back to certain things... A relationship I actually like and want to root for. Um, yeah, this this was again supposed to be one of those ones that was getting a lot of buzz and was going to hit theaters and pandemic officially hit and it had to get dropped to Hulu. So, but yeah, this is easily a lot of ones that I was like, you know, this is one that I really needed right now. Yeah. It was a good time and a good sit back for me. Fortunately, I have not seen that. Uh, your number six. My number six is, I'd call it, I wouldn't necessarily call it a horror movie, I'd call it like a scarier movie, and that was one you previously mentioned, Invisible Man. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. After all the talk of them redoing this and all that, I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Um, basically, a guy stages his own suicide. He's a great scientist. He uses his power to become invisible. 
to stalk and terrorize Elizabeth Moss, his ex-girlfriend. And naturally, the police don't believe her, and uh, she decides to take matters into her own hands and fight back. Um, Elizabeth Moss is brilliant as Cecilia. I can't she's just tell you enough. She's just brilliant. I love her in everything. Even the bad movies she's in. Yes, I love her in everything. Um, I'm, I love the way they went about this movie. I think the flick itself is smart. I think it's well acted. And above all, it does get scary at times, and I didn't expect that. So um, I think this proves the classic source, source material for a fresh reboot can be hiding in plain sight. And I have nothing good say, things to say about this movie, and I really enjoyed the movie, the theater experience, because we did get to see it in theaters. Yeah, there's a review and I yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Go back to the review. Oh, God! To find out what I really thought about it. Um... My number six is actually the o- official last movie that came out in 2020 that I watched, which was a few days ago, um, and that's Sound of Metal. Oh, yeah, that's one of the two that I really wanted to watch and get mm-hmm. to watch. Uh, starring Ezra Miller as a heavy metal drummer who is losing his hearing. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, th- this, without a doubt should be up for and win like any kind of technical sound mixing because that is literally a part of it. You are put in his head like that you, when he loses his hearing, there's no sound. If it's like staticky kind of hearing for him, that's what you get. Cool. Um, But it's also just probably... I, I, I'm stretching it here because I've not seen all his films. I've not seen all of Ezra Miller's performance. But he's this, all over the place. Yeah, but this is easily his best performance, in my opinion. Um, you mean you don't think Flash? <laughs> At first I thought he was the best thing in Justice League. Then I'm like, eh. <laughs> um, but his, like... The, the His reaction about how, you know, he starts to realize he's losing his hearing and he had this whole start of his life going on they dedicated to music and stuff and he is losing it basically um the uh his uh girlfriend that plays off of him who was also in uh ready player one she was a main love interest of that Uh, that she she also was really good in this um but it's also a great look at the deaf community Oh, yeah. Because it treats them with respect. Mm -hmm. And like how I said, like you were put in his mindset when he's with the deaf that are trying to like do sign language and stuff. There's no subtitles. Oh. So you, because he doesn't know, so you don't know what they're saying. Um, And there's a whole thing about, you know, should he try to have surgery to help? fix his hearing or should he just adapt to this new phase in his life um it's really it's really down to earth and really great uh and it just connected with me on several levels especially with music um so now breaking into the top five you're number five and i what is that on really quick sound of metal uh amazon prime okay because that's one of the two that i Really wanted to get yeah. into this. In fact, I think it. it is actually an Amazon movie. Sweet. <clears throat> so you previously mentioned this one. 
this one, uh, I would say it was more of the ballsy movies of 2020, and that's I'm thinking of ending things. Um, uh, this movie is really full of misgivings, and the two leads, uh, which is a woman played by Jesse Buckley, and then Jake is played by Jesse Plemons, who's... Two Jessies. Who is actually... Jesse Plemons is actually my favorite movie so far of 2021. But... Um, uh, basically, they go to his parents' house, or it's a secluded farm, I should say. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I said, both their performances were stellar. And uh, this is a, it is kind of a hard film to talk about, but mm-hmm. um, it doesn't just dramatize the condition, but embodies it through the director. I think his name is Charlie Kaufman. He, he was a director and writer. Oh, wow. Okay. So he, he's done a lot of big things. Yeah, and he's like daring. Like he, the divergent interpretations of this movie are crazy. And uh, it's most likely unsettling for most to watch. <laughs> I get that. But um, the title can symbolize two things. And I didn't really think of it this way. It can symbolize an end of a relationship or the end of a life. So. And oddly enough, it could mean the same thing if you think about it for some people. Um, wonderful performance by Tony Collette. I mean, I think all you have to say it's a family film that stars Tony Collette and know it's going to be unsettling. Yeah, okay. That, that sounds about right. But, uh, and, I forget, and I forget his name. He was also in Harry Potter. He played the dad. Yes, you're right. Shit. Yeah, I forget his name, but I love him too. Um, but I, I'd say that arguably this movie has some of the best cinematography of 2020, and I think it definitely should be up for uh, an award like that. I, That'd be saying a lot since you actually can't see most of the screen. I know. I, I thought it was great cinematography. But, yeah. Interesting movie. Uh-oh. If there's one thing that Charlie Kaufman never does, is uninteresting. Yeah. <laughs> you either are going to really like them or you're yeah. going to hate them. Or, or, or you may be like me, where you fall in the middle. Because mm-hmm. uh, he also did uh, Being John Malkovich oh, and yeah. uh, Adaptation, which I think is his, his best. Um, number five for me is one you previously mentioned. Uh, I I think it was in your mentions. Uh, Ball Rat 2. Yes. Uh, this was another film I just needed in t- from 2020. Um with the subject matter, with Sasha Baron Cohen doing it. And here's then the other part for me. I have never actually been the biggest Bull Rat fan. No. Now, I think I only saw it once, and it was like during the part where there was all the talk and the hype behind it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I then was kind of like, for me at the time, it just wasn't hitting. Uh, But I feel like not only... This just on a storytelling perspective of what's actually going on with him, like interfering with the whole conservative and election stuff, uh, the conspiracy theories and other shit, the way that he actually infiltrated a lot of this stuff, like risking his life almost. Um, but I felt like this was actually evolving the Borat character. Because he has a daughter now, who also, I feel, is an upcoming actress, uh, who was actually kind of known in her actual home uh, land 
So this is actually her first English film, or you know, American mm-hmm. film. Um, and I thought that she was outstanding with him, and their interactions were hilarious and fun. So, and it just gave me some of the biggest laughs of the year. So, I, I it, it it was what, there's no doubt about that. It it was what I needed, and I actually think it's better than the first one. So, Bull Rats in my number five. Uh, your number four. <clears throat> my number four is called Bad Education. Again, um, one I've heard a lot wow. about, but I don't have the access to watch um, it. It's about a Long Island school superintendent who was, his name's Frank, it's played by Hugh Jackman. And um, his assistant is Pam, played by Alice and Janney, and I think they're both fantastic. Um, but they're credited with bringing the district unpres- unprecedented prestige, and uh, Hugh Jackman in this movie is a master of positive, positive messaging, which you, know, you can just picture that in your mind. <laughs> but uh, but does he have claws? I mean, the, my, <laughs> see, maybe secretly, but I'm not sure about that. Uh, whether that be like in front of an audience, of community leaders, or parents. I mean, it's the same wherever he goes, but it all changes when a student reporter uncovers an embezzlement scheme of epic proportions, uh, prompting Frank to devise an elaborate cover-up, which is, you know, always something I'm interested in. But uh, this film is all anchored by uh, Hugh Jackman, and I think he should be our best actor for this film. Um, You get some absurd laughs in it, actually, which is kind of surprising, considering what kind of movie it is, but uh, it definitely has a worthy message, and um, it gets all kind of mixed together in the aftermath of a real-life scandal. And... um, it's definitely well crafted. Really has an interesting insight into psychopathy and the humanity of everyone's well-being. And Ray Romano is in it as well. He's pretty good. So I, yeah, Hugh Jackman's amazing in this film. Uh, it, it, I didn't think I was gonna like it as much as I did, but it, like I said, it's, this is a preference movie for me. I thought this was great. Yeah. Again, I would have actually watched it if I had the means to. Um, my number four is Ma Raimi's Black Bottom. Damn it! That's the that's the second one. That's the that's the number one I missed that I wanted to see just because I love the main two people in it. Well, <laughs> I strongly tell you to go to Netflix and watch this because, uh, previously mentioned Chadwick Boseman, I believe his finest and best performance, which was his last performance. Yeah. Um, and also Viola Davis, or Viola Davis, uh, continues her role of just great performances overall. Uh, but this is also one of those ones where it's a, uh, it's a play that's then formatted into like, you know, a movie setting, uh, very much like how Fences with Viola Davis and uh, Denzel Washington, who in fact is a producer of this film, um, largely takes place in one setting, really. Um, It also has a few faces that are actually kind of recognizable, but you may not know them by name, but they've been in a lot of the big things like Selma, Mm. 42, Mm. and uh, The Butler. but there, this is a also a very well regarded uh, just play in general. Like you can actually find out actually names that you didn't know about that did, have done it on stage and stuff. 
Um, but the the fact that the perform this is easily the most like performance driven thing because you can't leave them and Chadwick Boseman gives three gigantic ep- like epilogues and stuff like that that are just amazing and the fact that it's just kind of poetic in a way that it's his last film that he gives his best performance in my opinion and it, it, it's just one that stuck with me for so long and I'm like yep this is easily the best just character based movie and just and and it's also a way to get out some names that you didn't know existed in history yeah, I'm so really interested to watch that I, I, I wish I could have seen it before this but you know it's what it is uh, your number three my number three is one you previously mentioned and funny enough it's Chadwick Boseman's second to last movie, Defy Bloods. Mm-hmm. Um, this was actually my original number two before something jumped all of them. Huh. Um, but I just was enamored by this movie. Um, just seeing uh, the uh, African-American vets battle the forces of man and nature when they return to Vietnam. And uh, they seek their... Uh, remains of their fallen squad member and the gold fortune that helped them hide it so the fierce energy and ambition alone uh course through this movie's veins and you could tell it was a spike lee movie um i think it just came together for one of his most urgent and impactful films to date um i don't have anything bad to say about it it was just an inspiring story about uh, you know the forgotten black vietnam veterans who were heroes that a lot of people forget about and I'm glad that, you know, this movie brought him forth. And uh, this was Lee's uh, most powerful blend of being an educator and entertainer because I thought he achieved both of them. And it delivers a message for those willing to hear it. And like I previously mentioned, this was Chadwick's second to last film. And funny enough, both of them are in top ten. So, mm-hmm. rest in peace, Chadwick. Great movie. Uh, Spike Lee did it again. Um, my number three, this turned into a toss-up, basically, which was my favorite animated film of the year. And I had to pull the trigger for my own personal feelings about this, but at number three, I have Disney's Soul. Um, this was another just excellent and almost perfect all-around Pixar movie, uh... The animation was just amazing. Uh, it was sad that this had to get dumped onto Disney Plus, but you know we are dealt the cards we were dealt. Um, Jamie Fox, Tina Fey, all the voice actors pretty much disappeared into their characters, which was pretty amazing because I didn't even know that Tina Fey had a voice in this. I, mm-hmm. but mainly, but probably that deals with I didn't actually look up most things about this. Yep. Um, the music influence with jazz and things which funny enough plays back to the Ma Rainey movie too um, were very well done again the feels and stuff are there throughout Um, if I had a personal and this is a personal preference uh, I feel like the ending should have been different because 
it's one of those where it it's like it sets up rules, but then it breaks the a rule at the end to be like, eh, let's have a happier kind of ending. And I was just like, you know, I I think it should have went this way. But that's a personal feeling for me because other people then interpret the ending differently for a different message, so it's perfectly fine. Um, uh, through through a certain uh, website, I have already pre-ordered my copy to come out on 4K, So, which I believe it comes out next month, so that's cool. Um, yeah, easily one of Pixar's best and easily could have been my favorite animated film but it just lost out uh you're number two number two well this is the movie that jumped because i saw it last week i believe and it jumped literally everything to number two and it's something that you recommended uh the willoughby's okay well we can combine this now because willoughby's is my number two um Okay, so first off, I'm just gonna say the animation is fucking cool. Okay, mm-hmm. and that that didn't really surprise me, but uh, a lot of the stuff just you know jump and hit me in the face, which isn't ever a problem. But um, so you got these four old-fashioned siblings who are neglected basically by their parents, <laughs> and uh, they venture out in the modern world, and they live in this really cool. In between, like, two really tall buildings, it's really cool, like, I don't know, it's it's a smaller house with, like, you know, forests, yeah, basically. It, it, it's like, like that old-fashioned house that did not get bought out, and the city, like, developed around yeah. it. Yeah, and uh, they basically, you know, come across a nanny that is hired, and her voice, she's voiced by Maya Rudolph. Mm-hmm. And the, the voice wow. acting is... Um, I'll let you go ahead and I can add to it. Um, I I basically tried to... This became my my personal favorite animated film of the year because it just, for me, hit so many things that I really appreciate and really love. Uh, The way that I specifically tried to market it to you was think of the animation style like like Leica. Mm-hmm. Um, but then throw on like a Wes Anderson kind of vibe and storytelling because that's that's the parents and ch- ch- neglected children. That's a big thing for Wes Anderson. The quirkiness thing in there too is like Wes Anderson. But then there's like a weird, creepiest kind of vibe, like Shining with the two twins. But which, then, which but they're my favorite characters. Yeah, they're way. also really funny though. And by guess the way, what? they're both it, named the same thing. Yeah, they are. Uh, Barnaby's. Barnaby's. Um, also, some redemption though, because Terry Crews has a voice mm. in this too. I recognized him right away. Yeah. Um, and to to just kind of go back to why this beat out Saul for me is, I agreed with this ending. I felt like it made the most sense with the characters. Um, also, Mar- Martin Short, who's the voice of the dad. And I'm right now I'm forgetting his name, and I know that you'll think of him, the main uh, brother in this... Uh, oh, Will Forte. Yeah, Will Forte. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
fantastic. He was eating, yeah, he was he was awesome. He always is. Uh, yeah, this this one to me was easily my animated film of the year because it was just the most unique and it's the most underground so that's why I want to stick up for it um, and again storytelling wise I felt like it had a more natural ending so um, well, well I guess because uh, oh, do, do you have any more? Bit to it. Um, it was I think this movie was anchored by uh, genuine emotion actually yeah. and uh, I definitely see where you connected with it and I connected with it as well but I thought it was actually a uh, little oh, taste. Oh, in Adam's Family. Yes. This is definitely yeah. how you think of Adam's Family. For me, it was like a taste of Roald Dahl. Yeah. A hint of Despicable Me. Mm-hmm. And like a little dabble of Mary Poppins in a way for me. And, uh, uh, but it got all spun together and, you know, formed a delightfully dark, but not too dark, <laughs> um, story about finding the true value of family. And uh, Tim... Which is the main, you know, which is Will Forte. Mm-hmm. There was a couple parts where I laughed so hard. Yeah. Probably specifically when he was, they found out they were going to make dinner for the first time. And he was like, and here we go. And he racked himself again. And I was like, oh, my. he just slides. Oh, just the little things that made me laugh so hard. But like, Barnaby Twins were my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Sean Cullen voiced them, both of them. But, uh, also, I'm gonna shout out Terry Crews and Ricky Gervais yeah. for their awesome. Yeah, yeah Ricky's a cat, which I yeah, have no Ricky, idea. Ricky Gervais is the narrator slash cat. <laughs> if you watch, there's a specific part in him at the end. I'm not gonna spoil it, but he's cleaning himself. That's all I'm gonna say. But yeah, this jumped up to number two for me, and I appreciate the the uh, recommendation by Ian because it was funnier than you know. I didn't even know anything about it, which I don't yeah. know how I didn't. I, and uh, I did it was hilarious. This. And I loved it. Um, it just didn't quite make number one. Also, if you're a facial hair fanatic and appreciator, Stash. there's a lot of things about facial hair in this. Yeah. Um, but now that since that, I think that actually was the only one yeah. out of all these lists oh, that we had the exact have, same. Usually we have a couple. Yeah. Um, but what was your number one film of 2020 yeah, it's probably no secret because you know Ian just talked about it um, and that was Disney Pixar's soul yep. um, uh, I from beginning to end it was such a joy to watch and especially since did we watch this after Wonder Woman no. Oh shit! Because it was shorter. That's right. We watched it first. Well, I was gonna say that that made me feel a lot better about myself when we watched this first. Um, first of all, I just want to say it was the first black lead character in a Disney and movie, and I thought that was and, amazing. Yep. And I love Jamie Foxx as Joe, and uh, he he's a middle school teacher whose life hasn't quite gone the way he expected it to go, and. His true passion is jazz, which, again, the music in the movie is incredible. There's a lot um, of music theme, right? and things that were really high. Yeah, and he's very good at playing, and not a lot of people know that. And, you know, he's just kind of, you know, gone about his life without coming forth with his talents. But when he travels to another realm to help somebody find their passion, 
he discovered what it means to really have a soul. And I, this is the movie I connect with the most. Um, it's the film is so beautiful. It's to con to contemplate it is to behold. I get literally the movie. I mean, it's Pixar. That's all you really have to say. And this movie is beautiful. Um, it just proves that you know Pixar's power to deliver outstanding all ages entertainment remains undimmed. And um, this actually, I think, connects more with the adults. That's what I was going to say. It's maybe Pixar's most adult film in terms of themes, and it's mostly middle-aged characters. Yep. So, and then, like I said, amazing soundtrack, gorgeous animation. Um, the overall thing I would say about the movie is it has magic, music, and meaning, and it, I think it connects with everybody. And I love the Willoughby's to death, but this just hit every emotion for me. And I was glad I got to watch it with Ian because from beginning to end, I was awed at his speeches. So, so then before I get to my number one, since I, I felt a certain way, how did you feel about the ending? Um, I see what you're saying. Um, I didn't expect it to go that way, mm -hmm. but um, I wasn't disappointed by it but I agree with you it could have been better um, that's probably the only nitpick I would have made about it I could see where it could have gone a different way but it was just overall just well I mean because you could be also like ones that got a certain message because of the ending yeah which um, maybe I, which also is one that I, I do get it's just one that I was like uh, if I'm going to have to nitpick this, I did not feel this way when I saw it. Like I said, it's just, yeah. uh, you said earlier, it's kind of a preference thing. Yeah. It just depends on who you are, but uh, Pixar hits it out of the park. Oh, yeah. It just, it's ridiculous. Um, and my number one, which has not been mentioned once, so I, I don't know how I feel. Maybe a little bit happy that I'm the only one to mention it, but also a little sad, or maybe... Um, but my number one film of 2020 is Trial of the Chicago 7. Oh. Um, we kind of just watched a movie connected with it, too. Yep. Uh, technically, you could watch it as a double feature because it does have characters that flow. Nice. Um, but this is what I would also call the uh, gigantic ensemble cast film. Because it has Sasha Baron Cohen, it has uh, oh Eddie Redmayne, uh, Frank Langella, uh, and just numerous other people involved in this. And it's uh, about a trial that happens, and it's deemed the Chicago Seven, even though there actually technically was eight at one point. Um, and it's regarding pol police brutality that happened back then in the seventies about protesters and how they were tri on trial because they were the ones said to be the ones that instigated everything. Um, but that eighth member is looked at and thrown in there as because he's affiliated with the Black Panthers. And that's the only reason that they feel like he's there. And uh, Frank Langella, who plays the judge in this, is just a despicable almost human being and the fact that this is based off of an actual real event and this actually is a real person that was a judge is a bit more horrifying um, but Sasha Baron Cohen 
who had one hell of a year with this in Bullrat, this is the one that he steals every time he's on screen, whether it is funny or it's actually like very meaningful drama. Um, but this is also anchored by the writing from Aaron Sorkin, who has done so many great scripts. He did The Social Network, mm-hmm. Molly's Game, and he also directed this, in which also Molly Games was his first directing. So he's been climbing up as far as a force now in filmmaking. Um, this just con- connected so much how we had how everything still is the same and that it also just hit me in a way so much so and it was so entertaining so fun and everybody just knocked it out of the park acting wise i it's the one that stayed with me the strongest and it has stayed with me the most so that is why trial of chicago 7 is my number one and as you just mentioned this would be a good precursor to Judas and the Black oh, Messiah. God, because char- that main character, Frank Hampton, is at one point involved in this. So that's how you can kind of watch both of them back to back. I know the next uh, double feature I'm going to do. Well, we'll see, because this, because this is uh, a bit funner, in a way, and that one is a bit darker. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, guys, that was our year 2020, our worst and best. Uh, I don't think there's much other to say because we're like, yeah, these were some actually really great films that didn't come out that year, but it still was just, it's one of the worst years in human history. Uh, so many missed opportunities for movies. I know we all are awaiting and still awaiting. Yeah. So, uh, get to put a little asterisk on this year, or no, last it, year, I should say. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and we and I started to think that 2021 was going to be a oh geez. I'm still a little bit more optimistic with this year, based on what I've been seeing. Yeah. So I'm going to do what I can to have some kind of hope. This is the year that HBO Max takes over the world. Yep. Um, there's going to be some stuff coming out on there that very soon too, especially. Um, we we might be watching and getting around to, or you mm-hmm. might end up watching and you can give your opinions about them. Um, we also have something hopefully coming up towards the end of March that I've been working on and trying to get together. I'm still officially getting everything together, so bear with them. You, yeah, you'll get. Hopefully, you all guys will enjoy it when it comes out. Um, but, you know, until then, you want to plug your stuff? Uh, Nick Wood on Facebook, Nickers underscore Chicken 87 on Instagram. Oh, my gosh. Oh, he knows the wow. title. I, I, finally, I guess the bit is over. <laughs> I finally got it after all this time. Um, Nickers Chicken on Twitter. Um I don't care to do any of the other socials. Really don't do social media other than Twitter, but I just thought I'd plug in stuff anyways. Um, like I said, really, really, really hoping this year is better than last year. I'm not going to say, can it be worse? Because then, you know, it might be worse. But there are some movies coming up that, you know, could 
be good, could be bad. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see what happens, and I hope you guys stay safe. Yep, and if you want to follow me at all on socials, Ian Novak on Facebook, Gaia Loco on Twitter. I don't think you want to really pay attention to my Instagram. There's not much that happens there, so I'm not going to give it up. Uh, Please, if you're enjoying this and enjoying the podcast, please spread the word around. Please subscribe wherever you are hearing this and getting your podcasts. Possibly also be a little bit of a sponsor and a donor here. It could really help out to start up something special. Who knows, maybe down the road, but... I know times are tough. This is a tough time for all of us here in the human race, so <laughs> not asking really for all that. It uh, uses human lightly, by the way. Oh, yeah. Some are questionable than others. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I the only other reason why I have a little bit more high hopes is we did not have to really experience any, Febu- any February baddies or January terribleness at least as far as for me concerned so but uh other than that uh if there's a more reviews in the pipeline other things down the pipeline hope you guys are there to listen and hope to join and hope you are entertained and enjoy it and i'm just going to say the two coming up that i know we will both review godzilla vs king kong <laughs> and mortal kombat which we we actually may have to do something about the Kong and Godzilla things, maybe get our thoughts about the previous ones. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. And also the Mortal Kombat. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we might have to do those right before those movies. Yeah, so, uh, but until then, keep safe, do good, guys, and please wear masks and do all the things you're supposed to do. Uh, that's the only one I'm going to really stretch. Can't believe you have to tell them that, Ian. God. Well, how many times did Fargo tell them to do that? Yeah, you're right. Which, by the way, please check out all the previous episodes. Yes. Uh, until then, though, guys, see you guys later.